Hey, everybody, before we get you into this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey, we want to give a big shout out to our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, who were recently given access to the Meta Store. That has been something they have been trying to achieve for a long time. And right now, in your VR headset, if you go to the Meta Store, guess what's there? NHL Sense Arena. You no longer have to go to their website to download the game. We've said it many times on this show. We love what Sense Arena is able to provide for you, the listener, to your young hockey player in a VR way to experience the game like never before. And as you can imagine, now that they're on the Meta Store, things have changed a little bit. We are now offering 10% off an annual plan of NHL Sense Arena. When you use the code, and you might want to write this one down, HNS-72A36D. Leave it to Facebook for an ad like that. HNS-72A36D. And that will get you 10% off your annual plan of NHL Sense Arena on the Meta Store. But without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey right now. We've got a real treat for you today on Our Kids Play Hockey. We had special guest uh, NHL goaltender Mike McKenna joined us today, and we went a lot of different directions with what, this one. We started off with a great story about an 8U tournament he was at and some uh, unruly fans, how he dealt with that, uh, and an unruly team in a way, uh, and how, uh, you know, hockey at that level is really about development. Just some great, great tips there. Then we dive right into the position of goaltending. We talk about really what to look for at the younger levels, the higher levels both from a physical standpoint, a skill standpoint, and a mental standpoint. Uh, so if your kid is a goalie, you're thinking about playing goalie, this this episode is just phenomenal. Um, and I, look, it's phenomenal either way. Obviously, we want you to listen either way. Mike McKenna is just always a great guest. Uh, he even gives us his uh, secret uh, barbecue brisket recipe at the end. Really, and a little bit of everything in this episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but before we get into it again, we want to let you know to check out whenhockeystops.com. Uh, and you can pre-order uh, the book that Christy and I wrote that deals with uh, a player coming back from injury. His name is Leon, and uh, he breaks his wrist late in the season. He's got to deal with it. And we wanted to write a book for uh, the youth hockey players out there to understand that, you know, adversity like that doesn't mean the end of the world and how to overcome it and the things you can do to get back to what you love. So check that out again at whenhockeystops.com, available for pre-order right now. Uh, you support us, you support the show, and we really appreciate it. But without further ado, here is Mike McKenna. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. I'm Lee Elias, and I'm joined, as always, by my teammates, Christy Casciano-Burns and Mike Benelli. And we are joined today by a special guest, a goaltending legend in his own right, Mike McKenna. Mike uh, played 550 games between the pipes in the ECHL, AHL, and the NHL with multiple teams, and he played four seasons for St. Lawrence University before being drafted by the uh, Nashville Predators in the 2002 NHL draft. Today, Mike is the volunteer goalie coach for St. Lawrence University, his alma mater, and he is also a coach with 44 Vision Hockey, in addition to being the host of two podcasts, The Suitcase and the Scribe with Scott Burnside, and the Six Degrees with Mike McKenna podcast, where he has interviewed some very high-profile NHL goaltenders and executives. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you today. We're excited to have you today. Welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Hey, man, I'm so excited. This is so perfect. Like, uh, first, because, you know, Lee, especially we have a relationship from previously working together on a podcast, but also that I'm hot off an eight U tournament <laughs> of, as a coach with my eight, right. with my eight year old daughter playing. And uh, I got to tell you what, I got the I got the, the good, the bad, the everything of youth hockey this weekend. Uh, I will say it was about 95 percent amazing. Uh, so a great experience and happy to join you guys. And we're happy okay, to have you. Good, bad, and the ugly. Where do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, right to the gossip on this episode today. This is going to be high rated. <laughs> it's good. Well, I, I would, I'd love to start with the positive because that's, that's the most important thing. And um, so my daughter is eight years old, and at Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, there's a golf club called Old Kinderhook, and I don't know who had the genius idea to put an ice rink out there and make it a winter wonderland. But they host tournaments on this mini sheet of ice. It's about half the size, half rink, but you know, like half. Uh, half the size of a normal sheet and so it's primarily like might tournaments it's pond hockey there's no lines on the ice it's just go play and everybody stays at the hotel or the cabins there's lights around it's just gorgeous and you know you walk out and you know there's fairways in the background but there's this ice rink right in front of the hotel and so teams travel in you know most it's mostly st louis teams but there's a team from oklahoma city there were two florida teams uh, they come from all around for these and we played our team. I, I coach 
So <laughs> they asked me to coach, which means I basically put the lines out and encourage them. Right. And that's my style right. is to give them positive feedback Especially and skate hard and all that. That's right. And, uh, and I don't I honestly, I can't even remember what our record was. I don't even care. I know we won a couple games. We didn't make it to the playoff round. Um, but our kids just had so much fun, like so much fun. And, you know, they got to go swim in the pool together and they got to hang out and play mini sticks. And for a lot of kids at EU, this was their first hockey road trip, you know? And these are kids that only know each other from the game. They don't go to school together. They've all come together because of the sport. And they're such close friends now. They're so excited to, to hang out with one another. And, you know, the parents of that aspect was great too. you like, we, <laughs> like, listen, we all partied too Friday and Saturday. You know what I mean? It, it just, it was what I had as, as a kid that I missed that I hadn't had a chance to, to revisit. And my daughter was crying when we were leaving because she didn't want to leave. And I think that's kind of the ultimate litmus test of how a weekend goes. And so um, that was definitely the positive of it. It, it just it was a, such a unique experience to play outdoors in this setting with the boards or, you know, the boards are only four feet high. They're, they're glass. They're not, you can see through them like the pen the parents are hanging over the boards which is actually like it, there's good and bad to this which i think we'll talk about in a little bit um yeah. but when people handle it the right way it's it's as cool as it could have been we had a we had yes. a great weekend and i think we can all share those experiences that's that we've had with our kids and that's what you want most especially out of a tournament for an eight-year-old you yeah. just want them to have fun bond with other kids have experiences my daughter still talks about some of the tournaments she had as a little kid. You know, she plays college hockey now, but she still, she still some of those memories just stick out and around. Not who won and who lost, right. but just the fun that she had with their friends. Um, so that's perfect. But I hear a butt coming, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. Um, th there was there was one aspect of this weekend that really left a sour taste in my mouth. And it resulted in a very serious conversation with the other team's coach about their parents. And uh, the tournament, we played a game against a team uh, that had traveled in from Florida. And anytime a team travels, it costs a lot of money. And with money comes an expectation and it comes to the thought process of, I'm spending all this money. We got to get this out of it. Our team needs to win, you know, and whether parents want to believe that or not, when you see parents screaming the entire game at the kids, you understand that they're taking this way too serious and they're living vicariously through their children and they're prioritizing winning at an eight U tournament outdoors in the most gorgeous place on earth for hockey, for an outdoor hockey, arguably. Okay. It's not Hawaii, but I mean like wintertime, but so we play this game and the team immediately trips, cross checks, hitting like, and the hard part is at eight, you, there's no rules, basically. Like the referees right. are supposed to, if there's a penalty, like you just take a kid off the ice. Well, the referees weren't calling. There was no penalties called none, like the whole weekend really it was. And the team took advantage of it, you know? And so that part was tough to see the players doing it because obviously the coaches were just, it didn't matter to them. But what really got me was when I started to hear their parents, I mean, their parents were going bananas the whole game, like screaming at the kids, skate, skate hard on the puck. Like just that's for the coaches, right? If the coaches want to do that. That's not for the parents. Like that's not encouraging. That's screaming at your kid to screaming instructions at them. Like it's one thing to be positive, but then I heard their parents screaming, take the body in an eight U tournament. And then my daughter got run from behind in front of the boards. And that was after she'd been cross-checked down in front of the net. And this doesn't matter that it's my kid. It's a, it could have been any kid on our team, but it happened to be mine, amazingly. And that's when I'd had enough. You know, and that's why I talked to their coach afterwards, because the tournament director came up to me and apologized. And every other team watching these games went, what is this team doing? And every other team there started cheering for us. Okay. I'll give you some insight into St. Louis youth hockey. A team from St. Peter's or a team from Merrimack has never in the history of St. Louis hockey cheered for a Kirkwood team or vice versa. And that was happening. Okay. We had St. Peter's players and parents cheering us on against this team that became the hated club. Well, 
And I talked to the coach afterwards. I just said, like, do you have a problem controlling your parents sometimes? That was my question. And, oh, well, we've got some that are loud, you know. And, and by the way, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. They're all absolutely drunk as can be, like drunker than anything, which doesn't help. And so he's like, yeah, they're kind of loud. We have I was like, your parents are hanging over the board screaming, take the body at eight-year-olds at an eight-year tournament. We're checking isn't allowed. And there are two feet from the kids. And he goes, well, no, well, we, we teach our kids, you know, they can use their body, and, but you go through the puck first. And if the body, if there's body contact and I go, I go, no, man, that's not how it resonates when somebody's screaming, take the body. It doesn't, they're not thinking, go for the puck first. And the problem I have with this is that it's on the coaches, whether they want to admit that or not. Like you say, no, it's not coming from us. Well, actually it is because you know why? At the start of the year, you need to have a conversation with your parents saying, this is not acceptable and we're not going to do this. And if you do this, you can't come to the games and we're not going to, we're not dealing with it. And organizations need to set those boundaries. It didn't happen. And it was a joke. And it was tough to watch, like, because I mean, I'm seeing kids and parents like our team's mad, angry, like parents are really angry about it. Everybody watching was. Yeah, and understandably, you know, that team goes out and plays in the semifinal game because they were good, too. That's the part that sucked. These kids were good. They didn't need to do all this. They were good hockey players. And, you know, we go out the next game and we see our team's watching them play semis at every team is watching them, cheering them as they, as they get scored on. <laughs> it was the most vindictive thing I've been a part of, but that's no. what it turned into, you know? And like, yeah. so we had this, we had this experience that was 95% absolutely amazing. And then 5% everything that is absolutely wrong in sports with kids, with youth hockey. And it's the parents of this yeah. one team we've, that just did not get it. We've all had those experiences. I remember a tournament exactly like that when my daughter was eight years old. So, and you say, it's it's up to the coaches to stand up and say no it's up to the organizations but it hasn't it doesn't happen Not so everywhere. how do we change this well I, I mean i can't i can only speak from my own experience and i don't know if i got lucky with a great set of parents that just don't do that or if because at the start of the year i said we're not going to allow this <laughs> it hasn't happened um well mike but, isn't kirkwood a usa hockey uh um model club program right now we are and that's a great point mike yes yeah i mean um, so i think a lot of the a lot of the values and the expectations and the, and the foundation of what you build you know from the time the kids get into five u six u mm-hmm. learn to skate you know kirkwood already is a model usa hockey program now not meaning they're a mod like they're a, they're a national bound program yeah. it means they're following the guidelines that are set out that people can follow right and i think what happens in mike's situation is some organizations don't have those guidelines and each level and each team and each group of parents is off on their own, is their own organization. And then in Kirkwood, you'll find that the consistency in the way people are, because I'm sure you have parents on your team that have older children. Yeah. And, and, and it's just the, and we, and and Lee talks about this every day, right? It's the culture that's built within that organization that helps support you as the coach and in turn helps support the parents. And I think that that goes a long way in what, what you're trying to do. Yeah. And, and Mike, I will not sit here and say that we're, we're perfect. Of course, we've had problems. Everybody right. does. But right. I think that having that general structure makes a huge difference, you know, right. and I mean, we're, we're an ADM, is it ADM, right? Uh, yeah, is yeah. how they describe the development for might hockey, right? Well, hearing their coach tell me how they teach to, how to use the body. <laughs> I'm just thinking, man, like nobody around your team has paid attention to any of the USA hockey modules no. whatsoever on no. how this works. You know, Especially you are play through renegade. the puck. Like that's, right. that's like not you, a you, <laughs> you are a renegade program here. Right. And, and, you know, I had one parent tell me, well, if your team would have taken the body, maybe they'd had the, like ours, maybe they'd had the puck more. Right. So uh, I've got this Yahoo parent telling me, okay. And like, listen, I, I don't like big dog and people mad at all, but I like, I remember looking at this guy and just thinking like, I'm like, dude, I don't need to tell you my credentials, but they're pretty high here, man. And, and he started to get indignant and confrontational. And I just walked away. Cause I knew that you can't right. fix that person. No, right. No. The guys, the guy can barely open his eyes because he's so drunk at a kid's tournament at yeah. four in the afternoon. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever, man, I'm just going to talk to your coach who thankfully their coach was very civil. Like we just right. talked and it was fine. Yeah. But it's symptomatic of how this works. You cannot be confrontational with these parents because I've seen fist fights at AU games. And that's what's that telling the kids? 
So yeah, yeah you did the right thing. You just gotta walk away. Yeah, your Mike, time. Mike, it would have been funny if you threw the <laughs> connection like look, for him. I played for the Flyers. I think I know a thing or two about, you know. No, oh. but but yeah. He did, he goes, Oh yeah, you played in the NHL. Huh, huh. I was like, Yeah, exactly. I did. <laughs> yeah. You know? And no I don't know deal. what you've done in this game, man, but maybe right. you should listen to me. That's what yeah. I wanted to tell him was like, maybe right. you should listen to me. And yeah. he wouldn't have heard it anyway. That, he wouldn't have heard yeah, it. Yeah, he wouldn't have. It would have yeah. gone one year and it probably would have made him even right. angrier because yeah. it was, right. oh, you know everything. These are my kids. And like, right. I don't like, it sounds egotistical, but it's true. Like yeah. you really should. And, you know, <laughs> well, your coach my, played high school hockey somewhere. Like, yeah. yeah. Mike, let me jump on that Great. because this, like, I think there's a whole nother level to this. So, so, you know, like the first thing is this, is that look, USA Hockey has put forth really great guidelines that yes. if people take the time to really look at them and I should, I should say pay attention in the coaching certification courses, um, it's, which is not always easy, to be fair. The they're, answers are there. They're but long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're long. But, you know, there's a deeper thing here. It, it, and I'm going to make myself vulnerable here. You know, I'm all about mental fitness. And part of this show in my journey is, you know, I'm, in, I'm coaching 8U this year um, with someone else. Uh, and a couple other coaches. And, and again, I've only coached higher levels. So I try and on this show, explain things that are happening to me that are hard. So I can kind of leave a documentation of even at the level I've coached at, I'm having issues at 8U. And what I mean by that is this, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was getting very frustrated after games and I kind of pinpointed after talking to some parents, that's the other thing. I, I talk to the parents on my team. I try and explore what I'm feeling. I think that makes me stronger, not weaker. And one of the things I realized was that I'm having a hard time at 8U shutting off my competitive instincts. Now they don't, they don't come out in the game. I just, I'm feeling them inside. Right. But I'm very aware of this stuff. And I, I said that, you know, the grind was always so fun to me and, you know, the competitiveness. And at this level, that is not what the game is about. It is about development. It is about fun. As you said, Mike, the smiles and learning to love the game. And because I had this conversation, because I put my ego in check, you know, I was able to kind of reset my mind. And I've been going into games with a totally different attitude. Again, I, the kids never saw this side. It's just how I was feeling in yep. inside. And, you know, last game, you want to talk about opportunities. My team's about 500. Uh, and we were, we were beating this team pretty bad. Um, and the kids were celebrating. I'm like, you know what? What's the right lesson here? Guys, we need to talk about being respectful right now. Like, let's be mm -hmm. respectful when we score. Let's not celebrate when we score. Let's understand how the other team feels. And I was able to kind of draw these life lessons out. The point I'm making, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. What I'm saying is even with this show where these two co-hosts, good friends of mine, have given me every piece of advice they have, I still feel the anxiety on the bench knowing all this stuff. So my yeah. point is that we have to explore these things. We have to talk about these things. Like I, I guarantee you the parents and the coaches, no consciousness whatsoever in terms of how they're approaching the game. It's about them and it's about you know what they want. And it's not about the greater kind of joy of the game. So I just wanted to share that. Mike, because we talked about this on the other show, like, like if I don't explore what I'm doing wrong, I'm not going to get any better myself. Right. Yeah. Well, I think Lee for what you just described is like human nature. We right. all want to win. Like, right. We play the game to win. We do, but you also have to understand it's through the context of fun at any level. And I say that to parents all the time. So whether it's 14 year or eight, you, the kids need to be having fun more than anything. Right. You know, if they don't have that, the game just falls away for them. And especially at eight you i've said this continually to people that no matter whether we're coaching our team or another team their coaches like we are teaching these kids together like we're coaching these kids together we're right. setting a precedence here right it's a great and way to look at has, it and and like lee we had some unbelievable interactions with some of the coaches at this tournament right like our you know the saint peter's team we tied them in the last game it almost felt like kind of like apropos right like and we've and the coaches we looked at each other afterwards you're like man that's the way it should be. Like, not that, not that it was a tie, but that, you know, two teams played hard. They respect yeah. each other. That's all we could have wanted. And we had that with several other teams that came in. Awesome coaches, parents. And I, I mean, for me, I, I want to win. Of course right. I want to win, right. but you know, like it, it is a skill set to remain positive and to not get negative and to praise the kids when they come off and, and tell them when they come off what they did right or what they could have done better. And support that instead of screaming at them during the play. Right. If you're screaming at a kid to get back and take the middle of the ice, and like right. that's when that's when you get people. It's like, man, you don't have a clue. Like, just yeah. let them play while they're out there. I think and I think hockey leads itself to that too, right? Because in other sports, you know, like like look at soccer. Like people use soccer as an example all the time about how coaches don't coach, hmm. like in, in at the highest levels. I don't mean youth 
soccer. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I see the youth coach, you know, the bad mama running up the sidelines, which sounds like in your rink would be pretty easy to do at, at, the, at, at the rink you guys skated at. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, outdoors. They were right over it. <laughs> yeah. They're right there. Like you could go right here. The puck's right here. Get it. So yeah. I think, I think, but I think at that point too, it's, it's all about, you know, your trust. And, and we talked, I mean, Jesus, every week about the process and about, you know, even your, your level at the pro level, if you're not having fun, there's no way you're getting up and going and you're signing another contract. It's like, yeah. and you're not playing I, with I, us. I'm miserable. I don't even want to be here. Like yeah. I, I can't like, so imagine that grind for an eight-year-old <laughs> and us as parents have to be like, right. this should be the most fun you ever, it, should, it, it should be that experience every weekend. The winter wonderland, whether you're in a, a, you know, a dingy old rink with terrible coffee or this beautiful outdoor winter wonderland, it should be a gift that we give our kids every weekend. And I don't, I don't know where the line goes from I work my butt off all week as a parent to then go and get bonkers mm, right. watching my child have something which should be the most fun thing they've done. Yeah. All week. Well, I think, you know, Mike, for me, it's, I, I can see why my dad, as I was a kid, used to get a pack of M&Ms and go stand in the corner and just watch, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it becomes contagious. And like, Christy, I want to flip back to, I mean, I haven't forgotten your question here on how we stop this. And, and I want to get back to that here just real quick and how, I, I mean, I had a meeting at the start of the year and straight up told her parents, we're, we're going to respect everybody here and we're not going to be crazy. And if you guys want to be crazy, I'll go do something else and you won't have me as a resource. And, but, but here's the thing, not everybody has that gravity that they say that, okay, these kids are getting coached at eight year white level hockey, which is house league hockey by an ex NHL player. That's not lost on me. Okay. When you, not everybody gets that, but my parents right away understood when I said it, it was like, I continually said, our kids are going to have fun. We're going to make sure this is fun. We want this to be fun. It is not about winning. It is about them having fun and growing as teammates and discovering the sport. And I think the messaging is why it's so important, Christy. Like you, you if your messaging is just, we, you know, we want to, we want to win and we want to develop players to the next level. Like when you start talking about that and develop everything for the, get the most out of them and, it gets cloudy real quick because expectations come in. And man, I was worried after one of the games, my daughter played goalie and, you know, did she play great? <laughs> I can't objectively say that, <laughs> you know what I mean? From like watching it. And so I was, I was worried that she was going to be shell shocked by it. And she came off and she's like, you know what, what matters is I had fun. And I was like, wow, you had fun. And that happened. I was like, huge sigh of relief for me. You know? Good and, messaging. But, and, but we had another kid on our team who, played goalie and this kid's been such a good goaltender for us and he loves it and and we alternate we don't have a dedicated goalie and if you go to an 8u tournament with a goalie that can really play you're probably going to win the thing that's what happened this weekend um but you know our, our, our he finished one game and he allowed a lot of goals against a really good team but he played so well and he just had tears running down his face because he was so upset and you know i had to pull him aside and tell him like hey where, what position did I play? Goalie. You know, what league, what league did I play in? NHL. And I, and I just told him, like, you played amazing. You right. can't beat yourself up over this. Like, this is goaltending, okay? <clears throat> You've If you chose to choose to do this position, it's a hard position. These are the mental struggles you'll have to deal with. And we, you've, we will find a way to get you to, to, <laughs> to enjoy this, you know? Yeah. It, and, you know, and his, Mike, like his parents, I, I just want to finish this real quick because yeah. his parents were like, I don't know if we can do that again. We can't put him back in. I was like, listen, we won't for the next game. But if he wants to play again in this tournament, I think it's important for him to be able to finish with playing again if he can, if he wants to. Because this is goaltending and it's hard. And if you don't battle through that, you may not set yourself up to be able to. And he ended up playing the last game, played great, had fun, and ended up well. But it was important to message, have the messaging right. Like if, if you don't set that tone and positively reinforce these kids and give them the connection, like after the tournament like that, you, if you're a coach, you have to go up to every kid and tell them why you're proud of them and why they should be proud of themselves and what they did well, you know, leave them with a positive taste. Even if they were the worst kid in the tournament, they had to do something well, you know, let them know what they did well. Right. So go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I, I was long on no, that. But you're the absolutely right. I mean, just but I think, so but that, that goes back to your, 
this this understanding that we have to be a community at 8U and 10U, mm-hmm. that, that if you don't do your homework and you don't align your teams and your programs up to play the teams that have shared values, I mean, I love, like when I'm playing an 8U game with my kid, that the other, like everybody, if, if nobody's going to light my team up 18 to nothing because it affects all the kids. Like if you don't, if you don't have a sense of community out there, that the officials, like when I see youth hockey officials that just rep the game straight faced and like, hey, kid keeps going off sides or takes the penalty and doesn't explain to, because most of the time it's the kid and the coach have no idea what the penalties are. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, just explain what the penalty was, why it was, what you could do better, what I saw. And it's that sense of community that's helping the kids grow. And maybe it's not at every level. I get that there's elite eight U's. I get it. But no, elite is a wrong, elite is a word that shouldn't be used until you're right. playing in the Olympics. Right. And it, but Ultra all-star elite selects is the correct. I, 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 I understand. I understand why the culture exists. And I understand why we're able to exploit it. I get it. But for the groups that aren't there, that want this community, then we have to really be more aware of aligning ourselves up with other teams that share those values so that we can all, I don't want to say control, but help navigate guide. That you, you can guide us. Yeah. And, and Mike, I think the way that the best way to do that, and I try to, I try my best to make a habit of this is that before every game we play, you're at AU, you're on the same bench with the other team. Right. Playing half ice. Like, <laughs> right. just walk over to the other coach, say, Hi, how's it going? How's right. your team doing? Like, if you start off with a smile and a handshake, like, right. I mean, if you're allowed to, if, if you don't have, you know, hey, like COVID's weird, right? But at least like try to like visually through your fist eyes bump. or fist bump, like just try to say, hey, I'm a human being and we want to help these kids. Um, I think you set the tone right there. And then I think it helps too with anytime the officials out there, you pull them over at the start and say, hey, how's it going? How's your day? Like, you know, our kids have done this. They've been pretty good, but if they do something, take care of it, you know, because a lot of these officials it's the worst job. It's yeah. I won't say it's the worst job in the world. There's worse jobs, but like no one wants to do it and we're losing referees nonstop. And if people would just treat them as human beings and realize right. they're fallible, they make mistakes and the coaches should give them the, the support, not yeah. the other way around to beat them up. The coaches at the start of the game should just be telling them, Hey man, like, yeah, do your thing, make the calls, just tell us why, <laughs> tell a kid why, tell us why. And we're going to teach them. We're going to learn. Yeah, I say that all the time. Like, I'm out. Thank, thank you for being out here at seven o'clock in the morning. Yes, and 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 thank you is, thank you goes a long way. You know, because you, well, you want to feel appreciated, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I thank them every game for being. It's not like you need a. It's not like you need flowers and a gift basket every game. But no, the answer. I, I I love the answer. God, these guys are getting paid. But I go listen. (laughs) We don't have a game. There's no game. Like I'd be out there refing, not coaching. Like I'd have to drop pucks and chase kids around. So we're so fortunate to have these individuals that want to do this for us. I'll so also, I'll also say them this, and support them. That, that and, and Mike, you could probably comment on this more than me, but, and I've always told players at every level, look, no one call decides a game. It might decide a moment. It might turn a game, but the game right. is the culmination of the entire time and the clock. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, look, I, I, because of this show, I thank the ref after every game. I say, thank you for being here. I appreciate you being here. It doesn't matter how good or bad they call it the game. Cause I want them to know I do appreciate them, especially at you. I do want to turn the show because Mike, if we don't ask about goaltending questions, our parents are going to kill okay. us, but I want to thank you <laughs> for sharing that story with us. It was a great discussion. Uh, I also want to reiterate too. That I think Christy's, said, Christy's yeah. raising her hand. Let's yeah, go. I have a question about goaltending. Wait, but, but before we get there, Christy, just real quick. I just want to reiterate okay. what Mike said about having those parent meetings. Right. They're very important. And Mike, I'm sure you'll agree. You don't have to do it just once. You can have that meeting two or three times throughout the season, just to reiterate it, define what fun means and define what winning means to your team at any age could be different at any age. Okay. Christy, I'm throwing it to you. I'm I'm taking the puck. I'm saucing it to you. You have the puck now. Thank you. I think, and I please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know what I'm talking about. Mike, but what for my, this is just for my observations as a hockey parent. I think some of the best goalies I've ever seen on all my kids teams are also the best skaters which kind of surprises a lot of people because, you know, I'd watch them skate out and I'd marvel, look at their tight turns, look at their crossovers, look how quickly they can stop. And then you watch them in their crease and their skating is phenomenal. And I'm a figure skater, so Mm -hmm. I really look at the technique. Um, And I think parents make the mistake of not putting enough emphasis 
on skating and just too much emphasis on the stops and the saves, right or wrong. Oh, you're right. And, and I will, I will say this, that I can give a whole deep dive on this uh, when it comes to the term, the goalie needs to be the best skater on the team. Now there's a, there's a, there's a deeper level to this because goalie skating is very different from player skating, but the skill sets do cross over. Like I played, I played forward in the summer all my whole life. And I think that being able to skate out helped me a lot as a goaltender, but I didn't know how to goalie skate. And so I think Christy, to your point, like of knowing your edges, it's, it's so important and it is a completely ignored skill set for a lot of young goaltenders. It's just stopping pucks, throwing pucks at them. But if you're not in position before the shot, you're not going to make the save and you need to be a great skater to do that. And so I kind of liken it to this, like coaches will say the goalie has to be the best skater on the team, but they don't know what that means. It's, it's kind of a throwaway line at this point because Coaches don't know goaltending. They weren't a goalie. They're like, I don't know goaltending, whatever. Go stop the puck, which in today's day and age, I don't think that's a valid thing to say. There's a thing called YouTube that's got more resources than you could ever imagine. And a quick Google will probably, you know, a quick Google search or a tweet to me is going to lead you to the right direction on at least how to understand the fundamentals of goalie skating, right? So goalie skating compared to forward skating is kind of like comparing a F1 car to a hydroplane like a, a boat compared to a high performance car. They're just very different. Like, you know, a hydroplane glides around and it's not very precise. It's on the water and a formula one car starts and stops and makes pit stops and it's precise. And that's what goalie skating is. Goalie skating is so precise. It's all edge work. It starts and stops. It's, uh, it's not as flowy. It's not up and down the ice. Well, you know, coaches will just make goalies skate around in circles like all the rest of the players when they should be skating in the crease. And the coaches should know crease drills for these goalies to learn how to use their edges, but they don't take the time. And so to your point, Christy, like goalies have to be good. You do not make the NHL if you're not a good skater as a goalie, but it's a different style of skating. And it's important for goalies to have a resource of somebody who at least has either done it or two has a vested interest in thinking like, I'm going to be a good coach. I'm going to at least do minimal research of a Google search and a YouTube 10 minute video to understand something about how to improve that for goalies. Because you're right, Christy, the best goalies, whether they're eight years old, 10 years old, 35, they are incredible skaters and you can see it and you can't just rely on size. <laughs> Even the big guys in the NHL can move now, you know, it's not just a big six, four guy on the goal line. They can all skate. It's a great point. You know, I want to ask a question. Well, Follow-up question. Oh, go ahead, Christy. My bad. Follow-up question because, and I've seen this a lot, because camps and clinics are coming up. And I've seen so many times parents, goalie parents, taking advantage of clinics who actually go after them saying, hey, your kid can come and skate. You can do this goalie clinic for free or at a discounted price because we need goalies. Mm -hmm. Then it ends up being just kids shooting on the on the shooting goalie. gallery. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you if a little advice from you for parents as they start searching for goalie camps and mm -hmm. clinics for their kids this spring and summer. What is your advice as far as how to pick a good camp? Yeah, I think that those types of camps where you're just facing shot after shot, basically what those camps want is a target. Right. But there can be value in that for goalies because there are, I mean, you still need to face shots. And you do have the camaraderie aspect. You're on the ice with other players. You know, you're, anytime you're on the ice, it's good. I don't have a problem with those, but I don't want those to eat up all the time of all summer long, like just getting shot after shot after shot. I think it's really important for parents to do some research on what can be expected at a goalie camp. If the kid is a goalie, to really look at goalie camps and see what they work on. You know, if the first thing they're working on is downward movements and butterfly slides, like, I'm concerned because the first thing that any kid should be working on is their skating. Like if goalie skating is not mentioned in the first two sentences about a goalie camp, I'd be, I'd be very leery of it. Um, and, and this is coming from a place of really, really personal experience because nobody taught me how to skate as a goalie. I went to these camps and nobody really, they taught me how to tee push and shuffle, but nobody really taught me the finer details of it. And then when I got to, when I was drafted by Nashville, their goalie coach, Mitch Korn, 
looks at me, he goes, Mike, you're a big man, but you can't skate. And I went, what? <laughs> you know, I, I had no idea. He goes, I'm going to send you this guy, Chris Economo in Buffalo, New York, and you're going to learn how to skate two weeks, no pucks. I went two weeks, no pucks. I did that for the better. <laughs> I did that for 14 years and we did start to work pucks in later, but like we just skated. Right. And I would have never had my career if Mitch hadn't done that for me, hadn't said that to me, but he saw that potential in me. And every goalie has that. And that's where I think it's so important, Christy, that when parents are researching these things, look at the details of it. Don't look at the success rate. Look at what they're teaching. Don't look at who came out of the camp. Because if somebody goes to your camp for six months or for six weeks or six days, you can still claim them. Okay. Like coaches love to claim because in the U.S. and in Canada, there's a profit motive to coaching. All right. And it's fine. Like, I mean, this is, man, this is how it works in our country. It's not like that in Europe. Europe has goalie coaches for every organization that are just coaches. And in the U.S., you got to pay for it. It's right. just how it works. And I don't like that, but it's not going to change. So uh, you do have to really look into it, like what they're teaching, not just who's come out of a camp. Good advice. Know, Mike, I want to ask this too. Um, as I said before, my kid's on an 8U team. Uh, we're, no, we're blessed. We have, a, we have four parents and the coaching staff. One of them was a goalie. Uh, so our goalies do get, quite a bit of good work for their age. You know, they're not mm -hmm. just skating in the drills, right? Like we have an actual guy they're telling them, but this is the coach. Uh, this is the coach. This is the question that always eats my mind. And I think a lot of parents at this level think this it's okay. We're supposed to rotate the goalies. My kid's going to be there. And eventually what should I be looking out for at eight you to know that my kid has it or doesn't have it. I, I, and I don't think it works that way, but I want to ask on behalf of our audience, right? How do you know, or what should you look for? However you want to frame this question. My kid gets in net. Am I looking for something? Is it just about fun? Uh, should I see something at that age that makes me think maybe they should go down the route of expensive pads and goaltending? Oh, man. Pandora's box here. Um, <laughs> That's what we do on the show, Mike. Is it? <laughs> First off, goaltending doesn't have to be any more expensive than any other position. Right. eBay, sideline swap you can get equipment for your kid. Okay. Your kid doesn't need a $400 mask wrap or a thousand dollar paint job at AU. Like I've seen with these parents, custom pads, custom colors, like that's all superfluous. That's unnecessary. I wore used equipment until I was 14. You don't need it. You can do goalie affordably. So let's throw that out the window. Awesome. Love it. But what I think is important here in terms of gauging interest is really the fun factor and if a kid wants to do it that's the first and foremost you know i've i've strongly encouraged i'm not going to say made because i will not make any kid do anything they don't want to do but i have very strongly encouraged every kid on our team to play goalie at least once in practice so that they understand at the AU level they just they just know what it's like because i can't stand getting you know you, that and then you end up with 18 year old high school kids that have never played screaming at the goalie. And it's like, man, you never strapped them on in your life. What, what leg do you have to stand on here? Uh, I think it changes their perspective, but the kids that really want to be a goalie, you can just tell, man, they just crave the puck. They, they move into it. They get, do anything to get in front of it. Um, like even my daughter, she, she says she wants to be a goalie, but I'm not sure she really understands what that means right now. You know, she's still a little timid with it. She's a little bit more hesitant, but she's starting to make some saves and you can kind of see that confidence grow. Whereas a couple of the other kids would do anything to stop that puck. And I'm like, the kid that played a lot for us, he's going to be a goalie. I can feel it. You know, another kid, I'm not sure which way it'll go. Cause he's pretty good at everything, but I think you can kind of just sense it in the way they talk about it. And think about when they watch NHL clips or NHL games, who do they talk about? Whose Jersey do they want? You know, I didn't want any forward jerseys. I wanted goalie jerseys. <laughs> I was a goalie. That's what I wanted to do. But I also didn't specialize. Like I, I don't think any goalie should specialize until they're ten U. Right. Like we have three kids that rotated eight U. That's think great that's advice. Really important. And I, because goalies need to be hockey players first, and goalies need to understand what it's like to play the game too. And that's it was such a help for me to play forward in summer. It's like a different sport for me. It helped me understand the game in a lot of different levels. I will say this too: that one of the greatest gifts I got in my training years was I, I remember I couldn't score for the longest time when I was playing. And I started going to goalie schools as a shooter. And mm. I started to learn how goalies played and how goalies thought and their process, which, yeah, again, it was a little bit of a cheat, but I, I started scoring like crazy after that because I, I was understanding the position more. 
That's not right? a cheat. That's smart. Right. Thank you. <laughs> but same oh, thing. Man. I encourage defensemen to play offense and offensemen to play defense. You know, I, how many times have we seen it, parents, where the wingers or the center, oh, the defense suck at that first pass. If they could just make the first pass. If I hear that at practice, I put the wings and the centers on D. I put the Ds on the board and I say, go ahead and break out. And they immediately find out, wow, that first pass is not as easy as I thought it was. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But the same thing with goaltending. I, 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 I went to this school up in New Jersey. Uh, luckily, when I was in college, uh, a guy ran it. His name was Jim Margastich. And it, he was such a good goalie coach. But I just listened to everything he was teaching them. And, and everybody listening, I mean, it was the, the lesson never ended. I mean, just expanded all the time, like how intricate, Mike, as you said, this position is, right? It's not just get in front of the puck. <laughs> That's part of it. But man, There's when I learned to what, it, man, right, right. And, and, and I love the, the minutiae of that. And I think that's another thing about goalies, you know, uh, Mike, I, I want to ask this question too. You know um, it's I'm, I'm always hearing goalies are always forgotten, right. When making plans or practices, we talked about this. So what can coaches do to include the goalies more and what should they keep in mind if they don't have a goaltending coach? You, you talked about YouTube a little bit. What else can they do just to make sure that they're incorporating the goalies and practices more effectively? Well, I think it's really important for that first 10 minutes of practice. Cause I know ice time is limited. You know, we get an hour in ice. You can only do so much, but if you can give your goalies 10 minutes to have, if you can hopefully have somebody with them to right. teach them, because most teams at least have two coaches and some, like hopefully you have three, but at least have somebody guide them through at minimum five minutes of goalie skating and just five minutes of, of shots within the goalie skating, like combine the goalie skating with shots for them to get that bit of direct coaching before practice starts you know the players can go go do skill work there's nothing wrong with that set up small area things for the players let the goalies do their thing 10 minutes 15 minutes of practice but the, the best thing coaches can do is just really set the cadence of practice okay like yes goalies are forgotten <laughs> they are we're not really taking into account we're targets <laughs> but if you let the kids go every half second and the shots are rapid fire it's useless. It's useless right. for the players. It's useless for the goalies. I really, and I know people don't like to hear whistles a lot, but I really think setting the cadence by starting drills with whistles as at older levels at eight, you man, like at Kirkwood, at least like you talked about Mike, like we do all ADM. We don't do team practices. Like we have stations. Some of the stations don't even have pucks. Some of them are just skating. Some are fun. Some are just jumping over barricades. Okay. Which I think helps their entire skill set. But as you get older, when you're starting drills, make sure the goalie has gotten to his feet before the next shot. Give them a chance to recover and get ready for the next shot. Right. You know, if you don't do that, you're just, you're fighting an uphill battle. You're, you're swimming against the grain, man. And, and goalies don't get better from it because they're never set. They never have a chance to work to the angle, all that stuff. And that's a great point. I do, I do that with our, you know, I, I do mostly 14U, 16U, 12U. And we've really tried to concentrate even on our small area games to allow the goalie to make the save and then the play ends instead mm -hmm. of, you know, in a lot of small area games, it's like you make the save and then you're telling the goalie, move it, move it, move it, you know, get rid of it. But you never, you don't want that. Right. You want, you want tracking and, and, and containing puck, and puck retention. Yeah. Whistles so, are you know, good. Especially so we, at eight, you whistles are awesome. You get the puck back. Right, right, right. Just get it back. But I think Cover everything. We really, yeah, we really, we really try to, you know, emphasize that with the kids that it's not just a save and get rid of it. It's a save goal, track it, contain it and then we'll put another puck out there to continue the game but i think we got to really be conscious of that 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 sets the tone for goalies when you're just asking them to make a save and throw the puck away mm -hmm. they they they're not even tracking the puck at that point they're just already thinking how fast can i get rid of it i've got one saying that comes to mind here and it, it kind of relates to older goalies as well but it's simple it's first save first like you yeah. have to make the first save first because in these practices, when pucks start flying all around and if there's a rebound chance or anything, like goalies will like give up on the initial shot because they've got another one coming. Yeah. And the only shot that matters in a game is the first shot. Right. You know, and, and I'd rather have a goalie make that save and then just blow off the second shot in a practice if necessary, just so that they're in the habit of tracking that puck, tracking the first shot, making that first save. Because you can get caught up in it. You start trying to save everything. And it's hard to teach a kid when to be judicious in a practice on what to save. Cause sometimes you have to do that. And, right. and like, even like I coach adults, I coach our blues warrior team in town, which is comprised of all veterans 
Um, they all have a 10% disability. They've all served our, our armed forces. And our goalies straight up can't, they can't bring it for 60 minutes of practice. Like I have to tell them, Hey, like stop what you can until you get to that point and then pick and choose your shots. You know, with kids, you can't really tell them that, you know, and they have the energy to power through a lot of them. So you kind of have to guide their teammates to let them have the right chance to make saves, but you have to constantly tell them, make that first save first, control that. Don't worry about the second shot until you've, until you've contained the first one, or at least, made the save or seen it go past you because <laughs> right. you will get scored on but like <laughs> take that first one into account before you start worrying about something else right i think that's super great advice my guys this is the type of stuff that like i don't even hear that often right um and and i love it when when we get like the simple sayings like save the first save first like though i love saying things like that too because we don't hear those things enough uh, and so, you know, it's like, it's like the, your best players have to be your best players. It's one of those, it's obvious mm -hmm. until you hear it. Um, yeah. You know, Mike, I, I want to say you have to tell eight-year-olds, I constantly have to tell eight-year-olds, skate. Right. That's, just, right. I, it, that's the word I say more than anything else is skate. Right. Go, skate. Like you got the puck, doesn't just skate. <laughs> right. I've said, I've said it before on this show. One of my biggest revelations at 8U was that, Lee, you're going to have to tell them 12 times, 15 times something before it even clicks for the first time. Not, not like when you get to the older levels, it's like, I'm going to tell you twice. All right. You better not mess up. But, you know, like I got to ask this, too, because this is a big part of the position. And, and you know that mental fitness is something that we're really passionate about here. Um, and look, goaltenders often kind of cliched, oh, they're crazy. But in reality, uh, they have to exhibit mental toughness more than anybody else on the team. And that's hard to do as an adult, much less a, a young kid or a teenager. So how can younger people practice the mental side of the game? Because it, it's essential right. for that position. And this and especially as a goalie, the amount of pressure that you face mm -hmm. out there, I, I imagine you at times feel like the weight of the whole game is on your shoulders. That's a lot of pressure for a young mind. How can we handle that? How can we help our kids through that? Yeah, you're, you're spot on, Christy Lee. You're both like, you're hitting on what makes goaltending so difficult. It's not even the physical element. It's, it is that the game feels like it's on your shoulders. That's why our young goaltender was crying. He felt like he lost the game for us. I didn't do well. I lost. And it's a team sport. And that's what has to be hammered home to kids is that you're, you're a cog in the wheel here, man, like in the machinery, right? Like you are, you're constantly told that you're the most important position. And realistically at eight, you, if you have a goalie that can stop the puck, you might win the tournament. That is true. But from the mental side of things, it's, it's important to tell them the, the realistic side of goaltending. And that's what I was telling you earlier about talking to them is that, Hey, this is not easy. Okay. Right. You will feel really emotional about these games, but what you have to understand is that it is not going to define you. And it is, it is what it is part of this position. What you're feeling is normal and it's okay. But if you let yourself get to the point of being so upset that you're crying after every game, you're not going to have fun doing this. You've got to let it slide off your back. Okay. And I know that's hard for a young kid, right? Like kids are emotional, but if you reinforce that enough, that it's not the end of the world here, man, you're going to get to play again. We still believe in you. You did great. You did this, you did this. Like the positive reinforcement from adults and from people who have played is the most important thing for, for that, those kids, right? Their parents can tell them anything they want. But frankly, again, when someone like myself who's actually played, it's, it's a little different, you know. But if you don't have that, let the parents, let the players, let the, the teammates have to understand. It's not just the goalie. Like the whole team has to understand, like you got to pump your goalie up. Like you got to make them feel good in those games because it's – but you got to be realistic. You have to tell them that this is the way it's going to be. It's not going to change. Like you will have to deal with this. And, I, I mean, for some kids, like – they will have to make the decision whether they can handle it or not. Right. You know, and that's why I wanted to be real with them right off the bat. Cause I didn't want to sugarcoat it and say like, this is going to be bunnies and rainbows the rest of your life. If you want to be a goalie, you're going to have to deal with this and we'll help you. But ultimately it's, it's up to you to decide that I'm going to do this. I'm going to make every save that next time. You know, you kind of have to give them that mental pump up. that They can, they feel like that they're worthy of the position and the, and the magnitude of what they're doing. I was just wondering about teenagers for those who have made the commitment. Did you have any mm -hmm. tricks at all for, you know, handling that kind of pressure? You know, I think 
you touched on how goalies are considered weird, right? <laughs> and how they're like just total space balls and different. And I think that this has become, it's become its own animal that people just say that. And now goalies even feed into it. It's like, they're supposed to be weird or different or, and I, I think it's really important for those, for young goalies to understand you're a teammate, you're a hockey player. You're not on an Island, like talk to your teammates. Like right. we hear these stories of goalies that you can't talk to on a game day. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, but it's fueled by people that just don't have a clue. Right. And people are thinking like, you need to be focused this is the worst advice you can tell any athlete ever. The day you should be thinking about the game the day before. No, you shouldn't. You should be out with your friends having fun. You should be, you should be cooking dinner for your wife and family the night before, or you should be have, you know, like you should not be thinking about the game until you step on the ice. You do all that prep work while you're at practice and then you leave it at the rink. And I think that goalies can self-consume that way. They, you know, they, they think they have to be weird and different. They think they have to juggle. You don't have to juggle. That's another thing. You just don't have to do that. Like you have to juggle. You have to not talk to your teammates on game days. You have to be weird. You have to, and like, no, the best thing that can happen is that goalies are just normal. They're just a normal teammate. And right. everybody wants to talk to them. They're their friend. Cause otherwise there's a disconnect, you know, that's our weird goalie over there. Don't talk to him. Like somebody touches your stick wrong you can't play well superstitions tell a goalie to leave superstitions at the door that right. will help them because right. we just go on spirals man. man yeah i've seen I mike, you're level five you're level five coach mike i'm sure you've seen this before right yeah like, i mean a level five thing is uh it is it's just a, it's a badge of honor that i was able to uh, go through you know 700 hours of coaching education but i but think it means you've seen an awful <laughs> lot of young athletes and a lot of young goaltenders like yeah and i think it's more that you know i, I think you know for me i mean you know, a hockey director for 35 years and, and literally have thousands of kids. Right. And, and seeing the, the kids that become goaltenders, the kids that become forwards, the kids that, you know, embrace the position. I mean, I played goalie up until peewee. You know, I played goalie and forward, you know, because no, there was no goalie at the, at the younger age. And that was back in the day in USA hockey where, you know, there really were no rosters. You could just go play one game as a forward. The next game you throw on the goalie pads and, and you go back and forth and back and forth. And I think, mm -hmm. I think that's where, to your point, you're just a hockey player. You know, just be out there and, and you know, my, my question actually was more about the, the, the quick change gear. Mm. Like when you lay all the equipment out there for these kids at 8U, don't you think that encourages it more that the parents are like, well, they could try it and experiment. I don't have to dive in here. I don't mm -hmm. think get everything. If he likes it, he likes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And then we'll start working on, you know, upgrading that person. I think the quick change stuff is awesome. It works. It's effective. Yeah. Is it, I mean, is it great gear? No, <laughs> it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be glorified street hockey gear that you can put on in three minutes. Right. And you're playing with a blue puck. So it should help control yeah. the rebounds and, and things like that. But, and, and hopefully your coach is. is not ripping pucks at you. But I will say this, and, and I truly believe this, that there's a huge disservice in that the only set of gloves you get is a left catch. Right. I think they changed that. I think that might be new this year, but yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. You can't, that's a problem. Yeah. You got it. You got to say, listen, we got to be able to give anybody the opportunity to play. I mean, we have a problem in America with that. Okay. <laughs> I catch with my right hand. My daughter's catching my right hand. I couldn't get gear for it. So I had to call my friends at Bauer who thankfully will help me because I wore the gear for 20 years. And we have a great relationship. Right. But I'm right-handed. I catch a baseball with my left hand. I catch a puck with my right hand. Hmm. But you know, half the reason I made it to the NHL is because I shoot the puck right-handed as a player and as a goalie. Yeah. we've created a culture in America of goaltenders that shoot the puck opposite of how they do as a player and they can't handle the puck and you get to 14, 15, when it's time to make a junior team and they're lost and they're gone. And, and we're hurting these kids. Like they, they have an entire skill set that nobody's thought of that they can't do. They can't make a 10 foot pass. I've, I've evaluated Bantam goalies, 12 out of the 14 shoot opposite. If you huh. go to Canada, flip that number around. Mike Smith, Mark Andre Fleury, Jake Allen, Kerry Price. I'm going to go down the list of people I just know immediately. Jordan Bennington, they all shoot the same way. It happens in America because for some reason we're right-handed and we instantly think, oh, he catches a baseball with his left hand. He must catch a puck with his left hand. And so we pigeonhole these kids by only giving them equipment that goes one way. And a kid's not, if a kid goes out there and they're not, they feel like 
Right. They're all, if they don't feel comfortable, they're not going to play. Like, I think we're actually siphoning off kids that could potentially play the game by not giving them the opportunity to do because they don't have the proper equipment. And I understand there's a cost associated with this, but I think you'd be shocked at how many more kids would just pick it up. Right. Like we, one of our goalies, actually one of our kids that does play goalie on occasion, I asked his dad, well, what hand does he want to catch? He goes, oh, he catches baseball with his left. I go, well, what hand does he shoot? Right-handed. I go, well, let's think about this. <laughs> okay. If I throw a ball at your five-year-old kid, can he catch it with either hand? Yeah. Christy, if I throw a ball at you, can you catch it with either hand? No. Well, stop ruining my point here. How about you, Mike? <laughs> I'm terrible. I can't catch balls. I'm horrible. Okay. I'm well, like the last person you should. Okay. Have. So are you are you well, equally yeah, it all. Are you equally yeah, bad with bad. each hand? How about that? Are you right. equally I'm bad equally with each hand? Bad. I'm equally bad. Okay. okay. I admit it. I'm right. clumsy. So this is I my point. Things all the time. <laughs> this is my this is my point. You can catch with either hand, but you can't shoot either way. And I think that that's important. I really do. I mean, I, man, I'd put that, I could shoot the puck. I could do everything at an early age. I could shoot it over everybody's head at 14 years old. And like I told you earlier, I was drafted and they said, you're a big man, but they also said I was a big guy that could handle the puck. Right. And I think that's, that's real. And I don't like to see us take away opportunity from kids because we don't have gear like that. But the quick change stuff is it's amazing. Like last year, my daughter was at red level or what's the bottom level red. I can't even remember blue. I don't know. Blue it, level, I guess. Yeah, is something. <laughs> blue level is the lowest of USA hockey. And we just rolled that quick change stuff through kids to practice. Yeah, and yeah. it was awesome. I think, I think it's been a great innovation for it. And it helps the organizations because they don't have to have stockpiles of equipment sitting there too. They can just have those quick change. And, you know, by the time you get to 10, you, yeah, I mean, if kids are going to be a goalie, they're going to be a goalie. I think that's kind of the threshold for me of specialization. You know, Mike, because I know you don't have all day, because we could probably talk to you all day. The, the, my final question is this, and I'm be good at that. I'm <laughs> yeah, no, it's all right. That's why we love having you on, right? Um, I have one the, question I got to get into after years. Uh, that's fine. That's, the, yeah, the, the, this isn't like one of those, like, this is the last question, because it's a great question. It's just, <laughs> this is my last question. You know, this um, is the showstopper. Get ready for yeah, it. Right. <laughs> uh, it. Like, it's tough enough to make it at a high level as a skater. It's even harder as a goalie. Uh, so this could be for any age, right? What do young goalies need to keep in mind or do in order to attempt a chance at the higher levels? Skate. We already talked on it. Christy there nailed you. it earlier. Skate, 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 skate. Find somebody to teach them how to skate. Um, the better a goalie can move, the longer a goalie can stay on his, on his or her edges, meaning stay on your skates, the better. And I'm not advocating for a return to 1991 John Casey stand-up goaltending. What I'm <laughs> saying is that you need to be able to skate to get into position to then make the decision if you need to drop for a shot. Because we've gotten to a culture now where young goaltenders watch NHL goalies who are on their knees all the time, and they emulate that. And it'll work for a certain amount of time, but if they can't skate, eventually those pucks are all going in the net. Right. And and that's where I think it's just so important that goalies learn how to actually move within a crease, use their edges and find somebody that they trust that can teach that on top of the technical skills. Like you need those. Um, but I think that the other thing that they can do is watch NHL goaltenders. And I know I just kind of gave a reason to, to be wary of it, but like my daughter doesn't really watch hockey a lot. She doesn't really, I don't think she's truly discovered loving the sport or position. And maybe she will, maybe she won't. Doesn't matter to me. It's up to her. You know, I can encourage her to watch with me. If she doesn't want to, that's fine. But I do think the kids that are the best at the game, they just they love it. They crave it. They watch hockey. They they emulate their heroes and they can teach themselves. If they can learn to teach themselves and mimic things, that goes a long way too. It's a great answer. It was a show-stopping answer. So that's good. No, go ahead, Christy. I'm just I'm kidding. That was a great answer, Mike. Really, I appreciate that. And, and I know our audience appreciates that answer. I'm gonna once again backhand the puck now to Christy to ask her question. All right. So you know I'm not athletic. I can't catch, I can't throw, but I can cook. And I know you like to cook too, right? I so if to. I ever have a hankering for barbecue, I always go down to dinosaur barbecue. Dino. Oh. I'm not very, I'm not very good at cooking barbecue. And I know that you specialize in that. So I want to trade my brush. I'm Italian. So I cook a lot of Italian. I'm going to trade my brujol recipe for your brisket recipe. Okay. What is your, 
<laughs> what is your trick to cooking it? Is it low and slow? What mm -hmm. kind of seasoning do you use? Yeah. I, I will gladly make that trade because I, I like to cook everything. Um, my, my, I'll tell you this. <laughs> um, I, I don't know whether I should be proud of this or not, but I spent probably a half of my per diem of training camp in Ottawa one year on a chef's knife. Uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but uh, Jeopardy question. I'll have, right that, there. I will have that for the rest of my life, by the way. It's, it's a <laughs> Japanese chef's knife. Uh, it's a beauty. But uh brisket okay so everybody says low and slow and that, and that part's true you do need to cook it at low temperatures it doesn't have to be 200 or 225 degrees you can run it a little bit hotter than that you can get up into 275 or so um okay. i actually think the the biggest difference you can make when it comes to barbecue is seasoning things the night before or the day before um and leaving them first dry everything off as much as you can season them the night before day before and put them in your fridge open air don't cover them let them breathe and whether it's chicken, beef, you name it, it, it makes a big difference because it'll let the, it, it lets the, the exterior dry out, which is actually mm -hmm. good because then it forms a bark. And the bark is what we like so much when it comes to brisket or pulled pork, kind mm -hmm. of that, you know, that kind of, it, it's not burnt, but you know, it's got that dark exterior yeah. to it, maybe a, a little bit thicker. And um, you get that by letting that meat kind of dry out. So you put it in the fridge early seasonings. When I do brisket, I just do salt and pepper. Oh, okay. Kosher, I use cool. kosher salt, um, diamond kosher salt, Morton's, you take your pick. Kosher salt, black pepper. That's the Aaron Franklin way from Austin, Texas. Uh, and when I played in Austin, I had the chance to go there and I believe in it. Um, but you can use anything, man. If you like other stuff, go for it. Like, I, yeah. I actually think that the rub is what makes it so personalized and fun. And like pork butt, uh, pork, pork butt, pork shoulder, ribs, everything. I use all different kinds of rubs because I like the different flavor profile for it. But I really believe that the key is getting it ready the night before and get it in that fridge so that it gets the bark and, and it starts to kind of, and especially like even poultry, you can get crispy skin on chicken doing it that way. Um, but, poultry, poultry, but poultry though, if you smoke poultry, run it at a hot temp, 350, 375. You don't want to smoke poultry low and slow. You want it hotter. It soaks up the smoke really quickly. Uh, whereas brisket and pulled pork, it'll run the smoke longer. So um, that's my biggest trick. I, I think that's okay. key uh, and simple and brisket is best to me. I, I don't want to overwhelm the beefy flavor with, with anything in the rub, but you I mean, you can, it's, you can do whatever you want. That's the fun of barbecue is discovering things. Sometimes okay. it's not, sometimes it's not even good. I've screwed things up before, but you know what? That's what they create a barbecue sauce for. <laughs> <laughs> this show has everything. The whole hour just on cooking with Mike. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. That's right. That'll be the third one in the series of, of our podcast together. The, the, this show has everything. That was a show-stopping question, to be fair to you, Christine. Yes. I'm totally going to tease this episode with, you know, we talk about goaltending and stories, and Mike even gives us his secret tips for barbecue. And I bet you watch people listen. <laughs> Mike, any parting words before we go? Obviously, Mike Benelli, both named Mike. Any other questions or anything before we let Mike go? No, I think Mike's a great listen on or great follow on Twitter. I mean, he was actually the inspiration for our uh, our, our episode that we did on whether uh, eight U kids should be in dress code uh, for hockey right. games oh, with their suit and tie. So yeah. I think uh, you know he's a great great follow and you know real sage advice. And I think it's um, you know uh, we really appreciate you you know kind of leading your you know your experience yeah. from a player to a youth hockey parent and coach now. Well, thank I think you. It's great thank for you. people to really listen and at least take it in. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of, I, I appreciate that first. And uh, if I can say anything is that I'm not perfect and no coach is. Okay. There's times for any coach that you're going to get mad. You're probably going to say something you don't mean. Yeah. Those things happen, but I think it's really important to be able to look at that objectively and realize when you've made those mistakes and take care of it right away. Right. Like it may take a little bit to fester. It may stew on it for a little bit, but apologizing or talking to somebody really goes a long way. And I, I think if we try to, if we're trying to keep ourselves within the parameters of always being perfect, it's just unattainable. We're fallible. We're human. And I think that's important for people to understand because, I mean, I can talk about this tournament all I want, but I'm sure I made mistakes during the tournament, you know, <laughs> I'm not perfect. Um, and I think that that's the best coaches I ever had were the passionate coaches that would push us maybe they crossed the line occasionally but they always came back and you understood where it came from 
and they treated you like a human being. And that's all we can ask for. That's relationships. That's life. And I think that that teaches a lot us, teaches us a lot in the long run as well. Mike, I love having you on this show, not just because you're a great speaker, but you just make the game better. You know, you said you can't be perfect, but, you know, progress is a big word and you are helping to progress this game or progress this game if you're in Canada. And I just really appreciate having you on every time. I learn something myself every single time. So I cannot thank you enough for being here. I hope there is a part three. I don't know what podcast it'll be on. But well, I think it's Christy and I doing a purely food. <laughs> yeah, <one. laughs> that's our next step. Cooking with Christy and Mike. It's a, yeah, that's that's a, I, love it. I can't I wait to get that call. Lee, I can't yeah. do our kids anymore. This thing I'm doing with McKenna is really taking off. All right. So, <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. I want to thank our guest, Mike McKenna. And as always, my teammates, Mike Benelli and Christy Cashiana Burns. Uh, always lovely to be here. I'm Lee Elias, and you can catch this episode and every single episode we've ever done at OurKidsPlayHockey.com or check us out on any podcast server where you listen. Thanks so much for, for being here. We'll see you next time.